can introduce yourself. <sighs> How's it going, guys? Welcome back to Natural Thoughts and Talks. I'm your host, Venture, and we got a great guest on for you guys today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, TJ. Oh, thank you so much, Venture. What's going on, everybody? My name is TJ Reed. It is truly an honor to be with you all here today, and I'm just really looking forward to getting to know um, more about Venture. Venture's talking to me. I just, it's been a pleasure. Venture is one of my students, and I'm familiar um, his mother has been a big impact in my life as a mentor and different things. And um, I'm just a human being who loves love, loves storytelling, and believes everybody's got meaning and purpose. Yeah. And I would say one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to get you on so soon after my graduation is because there's probably about two, three, maybe four people that I've been thankful enough to meet over my college experience where I've gone like, oh, they're doing it right. This is good. This is good. The way... You, I don't think you understand how horrible of a student that I actually was as far as like formal education goes. Love learning. You give me a good book, I power through it. Maybe 10 minutes, that book will be cover to cover done. I have that type of capability. School, been my biggest obstacle. It's one of those things where I hate it. I hate the structure. I hate the way it is. And one of the things that I learned, and we've been talking about that a lot on this podcast, is have you read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? at all i have not read it you got to check that one out he basically talks about like the two main thinking is um convergent and divergent convergent thinkers are my mom they're hannah they're professors like yourself they're they take data and they're able to compile it compile it into one answer whereas divergent thinkers are the entrepreneurs the business leaders such as myself who they have one problem we sell radios. And I go, oh, here's a million ways to sell these radios and provide value to the public. So obviously that has been something that I've struggled with throughout school this whole time. And you were able to structure your learning style in a way that actually fit me. So that's like kudos to you because I've fought the system for all 18 to 22 years of my entire life of education, you're one of the guys that definitely got it right. And I go, oh, no, I take that guy's class again. Actually, I wish he taught all my classes because the way he did it is actually how I think I would do it if I was in his position right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge honor, Venture. And just, um, just taking, having you being there and, and um, having your, reading your responses and just seeing Kind of, I, I always talked about where I'm just coming from before this is doing some community peacemaking and sometimes it's referred to as restorative justice or talking circles or circle practices. It's just this idea that everybody has a story and I mean, I have, I have to agree with everything you have to say, but I can, we can understand one another and we can have respect and sharing. And, Do you um, maybe want to share your uh, teaching background a little bit? That way the people know where you're coming from. Yeah, of course, of course. So let's see here. I'm a tenure track professor at Cal State Long Beach. We call it Cal State Pavungna teaching in American Indian studies. I'd call it native studies myself. And I am also an adjunct faculty, an adjunct faculty at Vermont Law and Graduate School, teaching restorative justice, restorative justice in indigenous communities. And that's been, uh, I've been teaching since 2020 spring. So like right before kind of quarantine, kind of going into that was my, my first take at being a professor. And uh, it was a bumpy, rocky road. I was like, oh, this is so easy. I love public speaking. Like this is gonna, I always love doing presentations. This is gonna be a walk in the park. And I realized, okay, teaching is not just about how great am I? It's like, oh, how can I get the best out of the people that are my students? Like it's about the mm. students. It's about how do I help develop these people professionally, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And uh, so I definitely, just like I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, quarantine was an adjustment. It was tough. And 
right when I was starting to get a hang of it, like the in-person teaching that went kind of went to the uh, over online. And that was a nightmare for me at first trying to realize, how do you create community? How do you connect with people? How do I make this worth everybody's time? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still shaping it. I consider myself a lifelong learner and just getting feedback from people like yourself and others. Just that's it, uh, it warms my heart and also knows like, yeah, it's, I know it's not perfect. And I know I'm just uh, I'm just trying to do my best and better every day, I guess. Yeah. Something I love about you is you have a very I don't I don't mean like non-threatening as in like a weird way, but it's a very inviting maybe personality. It's like a very carefree, like uh, no pressure but you you inspire people to want to do the work, to want to learn, to want to be interested in what's going on versus kind of pulling teeth. You know, there's a lot of people that want to pull teeth and want to kind of force people into the water. And that's not the way you did it. You almost made it seem like, hey, everybody's having a party in the water. You're going to feel left out if you don't come for a swim. So that's one of the cool things about you. And like, I just, I think I can definitely take that tool into my toolbox as like, I could be more like that. You know, there's no reason to want to throw stones at every single corner when you can just maybe talk it out. You know, you can maybe try to actually listen and learn and um, not project your values onto somebody else before you at least put yourself in their shoes. Mm. You know, so a quote of the day, I would say I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw Nipsey Hussle Mm. said the you might have seen my story i don't know but he said something along the lines of the greatest human act is to inspire and without that i think nothing else really matters it's like you can make all the money you want have all the people you want do this and that but at the end of the day it's like inspiring others is so much bigger than yourself what do you think about that i think that's Hugely inspirational and phenomenal. I, I saw your story. I loved it. I watched, clicked and watched the full video. I'm always inspired by Nipsey Hussle. And just to hear him talk about that is why I make music. Like, yeah, okay, like I'll hear the numbers, but that's not going to influence one way or another how, what kind of music I make. It's to inspire. So when you hear that song that inspires you and you play it over, like that's, that's what music is. That's the power of music. And I love that. I, I try to, yeah, like you were saying, balancing that... Uh, that entertainment, so it's fun, it's educational, you're learning, and, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's inspirational for you to be your best self. And what do you, all of us, we bring something different to the talent. We bring to something different to the table with our different skills and talents. And I remember being hugely inspired by you. We were, this was last year, and we were bringing in some potential Native students at Dream the Impossible Conference. Mm-hmm. And you were on a panel of students, and your wisdom just kept exuding out of you. Just your every, every, um, all these inspirational quotes and ideas. And I remember I was sitting next to Dr. Teresa Greger and she was like, oh my, just like, I get, like there's just so much wisdom. Just like yeah. every, every time she'd be like, oh my gosh, another one. But it was, that was, that's that same vibe and idea as you as an athlete, right? When you're just that idea of being an inspirational in your actions and just seeing you in that way as a leader and just even being here now with you as we're recording this, just seeing um, the studio and just everything you've built. It's like, wow, at 23, like I'm 33 now. And I say, oh my goodness. Like if I could be where I was, where, if I could be where, where you're at now when I'm at 33, but at 23, I'm like venture. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. And obviously a lot of people like to deem the nickname, uh, old head, young shoulders. Mm. You know, that's one of those things <laughs> to where I think my, I don't know my mind or the way I do things. It's been accelerated because of people like you. It's been accelerated because of the village that's helped build mm-hmm. me. You know, the tribe, it takes a, well, what is it? Like it takes a village to raise a kid, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that's true. I just had a lot of great people around me and they combined that with my 
confidence to ask certain questions and that just sort of accelerated my growth and put me where I'm at today. So it's one of those things to where it's like, there's really nothing that I think I can't conquer or accomplish if I put my mind to it because I feel like I have the resources to do so. I can ask the questions. I can maybe think about it. And I, you know, I don't have as many obstacles in front of me as the people who came before me have. So why not try to actually go after any dream that I can have, mm -hmm. you know? So that's what I've been thinking about lately. And I think I want to talk about your background. Yeah. Yes, please. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your family. How many siblings do you have? Phenomenal venture. Let's see here. About me and my upbringing, my family, I am the youngest of three. I got two older sisters, one named Caitlin Valentine is her married name, and then my eldest sister, Chelsea, now Chelsea Starrett, and she's married and has a few kids, um, Archer, Hazel, and Penelope, and I'm grateful to be an uncle for them. I was born in Tacoma, Washington. We lived there for about a year in this area called Gig Harbor, and then we moved after that to this place called Billings, Montana. Oh, yeah, I know Billings. I love it. Love the Billings shout-outs. Yeah. We were there from about 91 to 94, when I'm, so I'm about one to four years old. And then we moved back to the Pacific, North, what, Pacific Northwest, just outside of Seattle, Washington, mm -hmm. in Bellevue. And I was there from 96 to 99. And then we eventually moved to Southern California in Santa Ana, uh, in Tustin area, unincorporated Santa Ana, North Tustin. And I was there from like fifth grade through high school. Loved it. That's a, a large part of like who I am. A lot of my best friends today are still from that age gap, of this age period of my life. And yesterday, about eight of us, we met up and we played pickleball for like four hours yesterday. I'd like, oh, never, yeah. I never played before. I was like, come on, like, what is everyone talking about this sport? And one of my friends that had like, come on, like, uh, they just happened to have like a court in their backyard. And like all growing up, we never used it. But now it's become like a thing people are playing now. So, so like, how were you at it? Pretty good or what? Surprisingly, I, I, I guess it was, I was all right. And I had a great time playing it. That, um, it's, it made me be very present. And I love that. You talk about flow state. And um, it was just a good, it was a really good time just to be in that flow state. And it felt really, really good. Just have fun. There's a really good pot. Do you listen to Armchair Expert at all? I do not. Um, do you know Kristen Bell? Yes. Her husband, Dax Shepard, mm -hmm. is the host of, it's a, definitely probably like a top 10 podcast around the globe. He has a, her, him and a lady named Monica Padman host this really good podcast. You should definitely give it a listen. They talk about just like everything. But one of their shows that they have based off that is called Flightless Birds. It's this guy from New Zealand who comes over to America and he basically is like, what's with Americans and like McDonald's? So he'll do like an hour long in depth, like the history of McDonald's, how this has happened, like how it became this global juggernaut and stuff like that. So he did one on pickleball that came out like two <laughs> weeks ago. So it's pretty funny that you bring that up. And it's like hearing your backstory like that, it makes sense how your interests are so diverse and how broad you are. I see everything from like I want to talk about um, like your lacrosse background, your passions there. I want to talk about your this crazy thing you've been doing on the golf course that I see, <laughs> man. That like I definitely want to try that sometime soon. And yeah, I just see you doing all this cool. You're you're kind of a big like kind of tech guy too, a little bit of a, on like a nerdy side there too. So like it's awesome that I just love people that are just into like weird things, you know. I'm definitely into weird things, and I <laughs> but yeah. I Love all those things and talking about lacrosse and I love lacrosse. I started playing it when I was nine years old when I moved to Southern California and it was one of my family friends and he was a coach. His name is John Fox and John still coaches at Foothill High School and they have like six CIF championships now and he's amazing. Huge part of my, uh, who I am as a leader is because of my coach, just like you talked about. 
those people around you that help make make you who you are feel like you can do anything and I'm just a hugely phenomenal and inspirational person so john taught me and amber when i was nine years old he's like oh yeah you're part you're part iroquois but now i like to call haudenosaunee as we call ourselves the people of the longhouse it's like oh you could try out for the iroquois national team someday i'm like yeah and i and I, that, that dream stuck with me when i was 25 i tried out for the team and i i um, I drove from Wisconsin to the Seneca, New York, and I slept in my car the night before. And I, I tried out, and I didn't make the team, but I, like I was, I was on like I was playing with just some great players who I've watched all my life growing up. And um, I was used a wooden lacrosse stick because my great grandfather he used to make wooden lacrosse sticks. Ah. So he was at um, Carlisle Indian Schools. We know it's a terrible, horrible mm-hmm. thing, right? Really heavy things, but uh, he was able to use this uh, resiliency by holding on to this traditional sport in plain sight where he was able to, he was, he was the goalie at Carlisle and Jim Thorpe was in the field for him. They're, they're on the same team as athletes. I love Jim Thorpe. Right. I have two goats, Muhammad Ali and Jim Thorpe. Those are my top two. Those are, and I, you know, I ran the decathlon a lot growing up and, uh, He's definitely a big reason why I was interested in it in the first place was just like, oh, there's certain people that have that dog in them. And I was like, I think I want to try it. I think I have what it takes. And, you know, I learned a lot through that sport. And it's just one of those things where sports taught me about life. 99% of probably why I look at things a certain way goes back to how I used to react on, you know, the athletic field. So that's super cool. And I, I really like that. So how long did you play lacrosse? What what did you love about it? What is the selling point for a young man or woman to go out there and play the sport? Absolutely. Well, playing lacrosse since nine, still play. Uh, probably when I stopped playing competitively was, um, well, I don't know, I've, I've kind of come out of retirement a couple times, I guess. So I, I probably haven't done it in, I played this last New Year's Eve in my alumni game for Foothill High School. But other than that, it's been some time. But I still practice and play literally every single day. So like nice. my wooden stick, like I'll cradle with it as I'm making breakfast. I have like some rebounders like in my house. So it's like practice and just, um, they say for every game going on uh, here, there's a game going on in the spirit world as well too for like mm. Haudenosaunee people. So it's a very, very spiritual thing for me as well too. We talk about that like medicine wheel concept of that physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And it stands for many different things, the medicine wheel. But mm-hmm. That's you know, one of them. Um, and I love that. So for me, I think the selling point for any young person is just it's a, it's a beautiful game. And I'm going to share a quick time, quick story about the creation story for the Haudenosaunee people about the game of lacrosse. And the idea is there's a game of lacrosse being played, um, and it's going to be between, between the two-legged animals and the four-legged animals. So uh, the creator's like, I'm going to give this game to you all to, to honor the creator. So they both go to their different sides. They're getting ready for the game. And as they're getting ready, uh, both teams getting warmed up, um, over to the two-leggeds, which is the birds of the sky, um, come walking on their four legs is the rat and the squirrel. And the rat and the squirrel, they get there, and the two-leggeds, all the birds of the sky, hawk, eagle, falcon, many others, said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing here? Go back to your side. Like, your four-leggeds go over there. I said, well, you know, we wanted... Uh, we did, uh, but when we tried to play with them, they laughed at us. They said we were too small. They said we'd get in the way. All we want to do is to please the creator with our game. Like That's all we want to do. That's it, huh? That's all they want to do? All right, all right. So they get thinking. And they said, well, somebody get the drum. Because even then, I guess the animals had drums for ceremonies and rituals and different things and their protocol. They get the drum. They take the leather off the top of the drum, and they have the rat lay down. So the rat lays down, and they put this leather underneath the arms, and boom, 
this is how the bat is formed. So now it's like has a little like kind of leather wings of the bats flying around. So okay, well we have no more leather. Uh, squirrel, want you lay down, squirrel. So they have the squirrel lay down and they start stretching, 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 and they got the flying squirrel. It's like all right, let's play some ball. So the game gets going and it's it's an intense game. It's the first game of lacrosse ever played between the two legged and four legged, and it's going back and forth, back and forth until the final goal of the game. The eagle passes to the hawk, to the falcon, who passes to the bat, to the flying squirrel, who catches it and scores the game-winning goal. And the idea is that no matter, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, how big, how small, big or slow, fast or slow, whatever you are, that you can please the creator with your game, that you can play this game. And I see that so much with people um, all over the world, right? It's known as the medicine game, the spirit game, the creator's game. It has many different names that it's called and it's beautiful. Chief Warren Lyons, who I look up to a, a great deal, and um, he's, when he spoke at Muhammad Ali's um, funeral, he gave a eulogy for him, and he had um, just this, this aurorous, like standing ovation and honoring, as they were very close friends as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just talks about so many things about the game and um, just how we've been playing this game uh, on the other side of the stars when this world was filled with water. And he talks about how he would talk about in, in Uganda when he goes there and sees a lacrosse team there. He says some of those those children were like former children's soldiers and they're using this game like to rehabilitate and to heal themselves and like to ha- heal their communities. And it's uh, it's beautiful. You see like the um, New Zealand team like performing the haka dance and doing cultural exchanges with the Haudenosaunee national team, which I am hugely excited for is this summer, June 21 through July 1st in San Diego on Kumeyaay territory is going to be the World Lacrosse Championships, the Men's Field Championships, and um, there's, um, I think there's going to be 32, I believe, teams, give or take, uh, competing there, different nations from across the world. I think there's about 64 that are that competed to have to get qualifying to get there, and the Haudenosaunee Nationals will be there, and I'm so excited to be on this the World Committee for them as well, too, for as being an ambassador and diplomat for them as we're having those cultural exchanges in um, Kenya, Uganda, um, different countries as well too that are, are going to be there you have us and canada and australia and japan and oh that's going to be a big one huh? yeah so it happened every four years and usually the rankings for for field across um, canada and the u.s will kind of will usually switch back and forth last time it was in israel and um, u.s won first and then canada second and then Haudenosaunee was third the bronze medal um, so for for indoor lacrosse or box lacrosse it's kind of more similar to hockey the Haudenosaunee are um, ranked second. They, the, it goes Canada, the Haudenosaunee, then the U.S., which is pretty wild. To, so like maybe we talk about uh, lacrosse as a springboard for sovereignty, being able to like hold on to our traditional ways and then be able to compete and have something that's positive and have something, have something to look forward to. Like This is something that not only for the six nations of the Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora, who make up the Haudenosaunee or the people of the Longhouse, 15% of the roster is for people from other tribal nations. So like any other tribal nations from the U.S. Okay. or from the First Nations in Canada, like those people are on the team competing as, a, as sovereigns, you know, as, as native peoples. And we find out this May or June whether the Haudenosaunee will be competing as a sovereign in the Olympics in 2028. Okay, so lacrosse is in the Olympics. Is lacrosse. this their first time? First time? Um, well, it was in 1900, I think officially first time. I believe it's 1904 and 1908. I think there was some kind of exhibitions they had, which was between like a U.S., Canada, and like a Mohawk uh, which was a, a tribal nation within the Haudenosaunee. Um, they had a few kind of scrimmages, I believe, during uh, different ones. Oh, that's awesome. But this will be the first time. It's a, an official sport um, in Los Angeles. 
here in Gabrielenyo Tongva and Wanyanyo Achimen territory. So. Yeah. No, I had no idea that lacrosse was so big uh, globally. So that's really awesome. I'm happy that you, you know, educated us on that. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I might have to get, get into it a little more. That way I'm caught up. That way the time the Olympics rolls around, I got, you know, I'm up to speed. So that's awesome. Uh, what does culture mean to you? Mm. And culture is huge to me. Culture is identity. It's making sense of who I am and gratitude for my ancestors and relatives and uh, lifting up the best of my cultures and the best of what it means to be represent my family. And whether that's my Oneida side, whether that is for my English American, Irish American, German American, just trying to learn more about um, my roots, where I come from, and where, where I'm going as well too. Where do I want to be? As John Trudell says, that uh, DNA, that descendants, now ancestors. That at some point, you know, we were going to be those descendants for other people, or we're going to, we're going to be those. We're going to be those ancestors for others, as we are now descendants. But mm-hmm. someday we'll be those ancestors for others. So. Yeah, I have this uh, concept that I've been thinking about for the past few months and I haven't been able to sort of crack the code in a way where I'm really excited about. Who moves culture? Do you see what I'm saying? That's kind of a big concept that I've been looking at. As far as you have culture, if you look in any culture on the globe, there's certain traditions that are just uh, statues in the the figments of the people, right? In the structure of the mind. Mm. But at the end of the day, I like to look at culture as there's a lot of fluid aspects of it. There's a lot of people move culture. So Mm. it's one of those things to where I think a lot of the average person has it a little backwards. They think that a culture is something that they abide by. It's a set of rules. It's a uh, practice that can't be changed, right? When it's a constitution that you live by, right? I like to think of it as no, no, no. Culture is built by the people. Mm. Who are the people? The people that are here now. So the culture is within whatever we want it to be. So what do you think about that? I've just been tossing that around for a while. And, you know, I haven't even spoken about it until (laughs) right now we brought that up. But that's something I've been thinking about. What do you got? I think that's a profound and beautiful frequency here on their venture. Even hearing you say the word fluid before you had said that when you were saying the people, it's like, oh, I've heard it said, you know, what is the ocean if not a multitude of droplets of water? Mm. See those things that they get. Those are all the people are all moving together. And and I've heard it said like that the things that we're dealing with are different than what our the generation before us, and they're different from what they dealt with, right? And that is it is this fluid idea of what it is now and who are we now, and I think that's that's a lot of beauty and truth in that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you're married, right? Yes, I am. I, tell me, go ahead and update me. Uh, what is your wife's name? Her name is Julia Elizabeth Reed. Okay, I don't think I've met Julia. Have I met Julia? I, you have not had the opportunity yet. And Where are you guys staying at? Living in Rancho Cucamonga. That's why. You guys are way the hell in Rancho <laughs> Cucamonga, dude. I got to stop by on my way to Vegas Exactly. Exactly. That's about all we get. That's uh, People stop by on the way to Vegas. That's our big That's our big. Uh, that's draw. a selling point, huh? <laughs> what it, you make that commute, Rancho to Long Beach? How yeah. many days a week are you up at the campus? You know, it, it all depends. Like, this semester has been um, digital. So, like, I've had, like, all of my classes are online this semester. So, it's been pretty fluid and kind of when, when I'm here and... and um, when I'm in Rancho versus when I'm in Long Beach. So um, it all kind of depends. Um, but yeah, definitely um, the commute that was, was pretty heavy. I was getting my, when I was getting my PhD, 
at University of San Diego, I was still living in Rancho, which is like two to three hours each way. Mm-hmm. And I was making that commute at least like a couple times a week, sometimes like four days a week. Oh, wow. That one was heavy. But the commute now, yeah, it's a lot of it's time of day. Um, it can take anywhere from like a couple hours if it's wrong time of day versus like 45 minutes if you time it right. What do you do in traffic? Do you just listen to music mainly? Do you have any favorite podcasts, audiobooks? What do you do to kill time? Definitely. I always try to be very intentional. Um, I st- I try to make these YouTube playlists for different issues or different things that I'm curious about or for like whether classes I'm teaching, I'm always trying to like add new things to keep it relevant to different videos. So you're a big YouTube guy. Big YouTube guy. I yeah. Got big YouTube guy. I love the idea of oral tradition or I love the idea of people, if a, if a picture is worth a thousand words, like how much is it when someone can, can you can see their story and hear their story. Um, so even when I'm just driving just to hear their story, but I'll just, uh, yeah, make a YouTube playlist. Right now I'm teaching an American Indian philosophy class. So like a lot of the cl- uh, videos we're watching, just watch someone, Winona, Winona LaDuke, and uh, we're moving to John Trudell now. So I'm like re-watching some of these videos too. And it's, uh, yeah, sometimes music, depending on what mood I'm in. But I remember hearing once that if you're on the way to do something or speak, sometimes it's good to listen to a favorite song that you have and even just singing along with it, just to be in that flow state and to be fluid in your words so it all depends on the situation, but mostly I'm trying to listen to things or just a new topic I want to learn more about. I love, I love learning and tying it back into what did you talk, how is lacrosse like any relevant to how you learn and whatnot? Very much so. So school, I used to despise and hate school. I used to hate the structure of it, hated the format, felt like it was just so not natural for me. And I remember I, I, I have had the um, I think I missed like 56 days of school my junior year. I missed like almost more than that my senior year. I almost had to redo them from like injuries and sickness and things. Yeah. College, I dropped out of college twice and I was just like, this is just not for me. There's like no way I can do this. And it was like the third time around where I started treating school like I treated lacrosse. Because lacrosse, I wasn't the most naturally gifted or naturally talented, but I worked really hard at it because I loved it. So that I would just like put in the time. And if I didn't get it the first time, then I would get it the hundredth time if I had to. I'll mm. just keep trying until I eventually get it. That's it right there, yeah. And I eventually just started seeing school that way. And then that became a, an accidental profession. Like I never never really intended to be a professor, but now it's one of the biggest honors and responsibilities I have in my life. So Yeah. It's- I want to know, why are you so uniquely modern with your teaching styles? I, uh, with all this technology that we have, why am I still writing papers? Why is that the only option that I have? Because obviously you've noticed, uh, I hate writing papers. I don't ever type anything. I don't touch anything. But this, if we just look at this week alone, I've probably recorded over six hours of podcast content. If we were to put that into pages, I'm sure we're at what? fucking 70 pages. I I wrote a whole book just this week. So, but if you ask me to write 60 pages on typing, it's not happening. So we have all these ways we can videotape. I just loved your ability to just be like, yeah, no, do the assignment. If you want to create an audio file, if you want to make a video, if you want to write something up, definitely do that. Just get the information to me in a way that like makes sense to consume. And why, why do we have all these dinosaurs? Why do we have people that are still doing it the same exact ways before, I get it, before the technology was available? When my mom was in college, that probably wasn't a reliable source. But no, right now, I can give you a five-minute doc on what my feelings towards X is and give it to you. Why, what makes you so different? That's a phenomenal question. I appreciate it. Um, definitely, I feel like being on the younger side, school not being that far behind me, and we, we know Craig Stone and Craig Stone is one of my mentors. And I remember before I started teaching, I was waiting for some big onboarding, big training. 
And just uh, in the good native way that he can speak and do, he's like, oh, shoot, I don't know. You've had some good teachers. What do they do? <laughs> that was like, that was basically it. And like, all right, go get them. Yeah. And it was, and that was like, that was the best advice I'd ever gotten. Cause it ended up at first I was like, oh, I need more. But then as simple as it is profound, like just trying to, what works with me for teachers and then what works well with me for learning when as me as a student. And sometimes, yeah, I want to express myself different ways. And then just seeing how different people learn in different ways. And I think it is, I think it's tough that when people get into a rhythm of doing things and they're comfortable with, or if that's that's how they learned it, or they believe education should be a certain way. I think like you're saying, like education, I think these structures exist in, in people's minds that it has to be a certain way or a certain seriousness or certain mm-hmm. go through, has to look X, Y, and Z versus what do we want to make of this experience that's going to help us develop physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And um, again, I'm a lifelong learner, so I'm always open to ideas, I guess. Yeah. And that was, I just wanted to let you know, you hit it right on the head right there as far as like uh, not really even giving people the big, like harsh deadlines or penalties if they did miss certain deadlines and just letting them turn it in, in a way that gives them the opportunity to sort of empower and control their own uh, education. So that's beautiful and funny. I, I love Craig. You know, Craig's the reason I got into Long Beach, right? He had to light a fire under somebody's ass in the admin building because I went to Cerritos for two years, right? Killed it there, did my thing, did whatever the guarantee was to get into the Cal States. And all of a sudden I get this waitlisted um, thing that, hey, you got denied or whatever. You didn't get into the school, but I did all the criteria, did everything by the book call somebody in the admin building and I'm like, hey, uh, I think there's a mistake. Can you help me out? What's going on? And they're basically just like, oh, no, um, basically go to another school. Like no mistake was made. Go to another school. I had everything by the book. So luckily I called Anna, you know, Anna called Craig and then Craig was like, what? Let me go down there right now and like went down there and dropped a bomb on somebody (laughs) and was like, hey, you're saying that you want these native students to, you know, make it here where this is our selling point. This is where we're going. This kid did all the work for two years to get it done here so that he could transfer to this school and do this and that. Literally the day, I don't even know if it was a full day, dude. I got a a response that was like, oh, guess what? Congratulations. It turns out. And I got a call from somebody that was like, oh, I guess we missed or no, no, they didn't even say we, it was like your, uh, like what is that thing? Your golden, you know what I'm talking about? Like your golden criteria, like it's been a long time since I haven't been there, but your golden four or whatever weren't completed. That form got misplaced or something like that. So I was like, misplaced by who? <laughs> like somebody's got to take some accountability for that. So it was just kind of funny that Craig went down there and like, you know, went to bat for me. And I always appreciate, I'll probably have him on sometime soon to just let him, you know, tell his story too. But that's a good guy right there. And, you know, his uh, daughter's in Sweden as well. So we definitely got to connect on that, too. I've been to Sweden three times in the past year, man. No way. You know that? I've been going to Sweden. I'm a damn near resident of Sweden at this point, pretty that's close. So cool. But every time I go, I fall in love with it a little bit more. Mm. It's a really cool place. It's um, They have something unique going on up there that is unlike anything that's here, just built into the fabric of their earth. It's it's pretty special. If you haven't been, man, definitely put that like put Stockholm on your list to go because it's a magical place. I will definitely have to check it out. One of my best friends, his name's Frederick Larson. He's a has been a captain at different points for the the Swedish national lacrosse team. Cool. So he came and like studied abroad at Cal State Long Beach and played on our club team for a little bit, and then he went back and he's doing big things with their national team. So uh, just the way that he talks about it and his family talks about it. Um, That'd be, it would be really Do you know good. what part of Sweden he's in? Is he in like uh, Stockholm? Because Hannah's from Gothenburg. So it's like the West Coast 
of Sweden. And then there's obviously people knowing him. Watch your guys probably in like the northern part that nobody wants to go to. <laughs> that's just inconvenient. So you got to get back to me. Figure out where he's at. I will. I will. Maybe if he's somewhere that's like reasonable to where I'm at, we can link up. I'd love to meet that guy too. I love that. I love that. I know he's done some work. Sometimes he's working in different places in the UK as well too. And um, we'll have to find out where his family uh, calls home in Sweden. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me about some of your favorite books of all time. Oh, I love this question, Venture. You a big reader? You know, I am. I've um, I've become one over time, and I'm a big a big fan when the when the book is right. I can like I can like you're saying if it's if it's what I want to read versus in school, I just felt like it was tortured. I would be reading the same paragraph over and over, and just my mind was anywhere else but the book. And that's one of the biggest downsides as far as the way they do it too, because they handed me The Great Gatsby, you know, whatever freshman sophomore year. I don't give a damn about the great Gatsby. So <laughs> young men and women decide that they just don't like reading. Right. And it's like, exactly. that would be like if I put on a TV show that you, I don't know, some crappy show from the eighties and you're just like, oh, I don't like this. You know, oh, I don't like TV. You're like, no, no, no. It's, it's shows, it's genres. It's so honestly, books are bigger than TV. If you really want to break it down in the way that they help you, it's like, they really induce thoughts. So yeah, you figured out the books that you like. Tell me about that. All right. From a young age, I think in middle school, I read this book, The Alchemist, and it was just a really beautiful one. And I remember there was a a passage in there talking about how do you know you're an alchemist? Like, how do you know that you have these spiritual gifts? And I said, well, it's because I can see the way the bird flies. And they're like, oh, so you are an alchemist. And I just this, this little idea that always has stuck with me since middle school. Another one that from when I was younger, but still love, The Little Prince, if you're familiar with this book. I maybe have heard of it. I haven't read it though. Yeah, it's a, again, it's a, one that was probably aimed towards a younger audience for sure, but it's one that just a lot of those ideas in it that just stick with me in terms of that, um, having that inner childlike innocence and wonder and curiosity and love for the world and that's i love that book that's some big one tommy orange there there very beautiful book as well too okay i'm um, talking about it's a um, native story and it's talking about like this i think it's a it's like a fictional story talking about this like oakland powwow but it's like these like 13 or so different stories that like all interweave and connect some other ones i like catcher in the rye when i was in high school my one of my favorites is house made of dawn by n scott um n scott Mamaday. okay and it's a, I read this one, American Indian Literature class, when it was Professor Georgiana Sanchez, was a, it was my first class ever at Cal State Long Beach. And I just remember being so blown away by, I had never read a book like that, where it was, it was similar to a stream of consciousness of Catcher in the Rye, but it was from like a native perspective. And it was just really cool. And just the cultural references and the different family references and the different internal struggles that they were dealing with and talking about, it just felt like it was at different points, like a mirror or different points and just, or having me reflect on myself and I'm a big fan of two graphic novels as well, too. Oh, like comic books. Like comic books. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So someone's Watchmen is from a, gra a graphic novel I like as well. There's this question they ask is, who watches the Watchmen? And it's this, uh, this notion as well, too, with accountability for those who are in power and charge. You know, who, who keeps these people accountable as well? One of my favorites, it's uh, Moonshot Volume 3. And it's a collection of different uh, indigenous stories. So it's like an anthology and it's really cool. It's about indigenous futurism. So it's the idea of looking at us like like Wakanda would be Afro Afrofuturism. Oh, that's cool. So it's like native people. Where do we see ourselves when technology and space, like using our fusing our traditional ways uh, within the modern in the future? Like where do we see ourselves? And that's one of my favorite books. The images in there, um, very striking, very powerful. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think I would say I really fell in love with reading after two books. Um, 
business one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad mm-hmm. by Robert Kiyosaki was one that really kind of unlocked some stuff for me and a lot of people. And then Awaken the Giant Within from Tony Robbins mm. that I don't know if you've read any of those, but my favorite quote from Tony Robbins is, oftentimes a man will overestimate what he can do in one year, but underestimate what he can do in a lifetime. Mm. And that's where one of the biggest things that I have, one of my kind of superpowers is delayed gratification. I have this thing that's where it's almost like I enjoy the process more than the result because it's like, if you tell me, hey, do you want $10 today or $20 tomorrow? I want, no, 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 give me $20 in three days because I like the way it feels. Like I just like the the waiting for, it's like Christmas time, right? Waiting for those presents, that's how I feel. I go like, oh, it's coming. We're three days out and then we're getting presents. And then when you open your presents, yeah, it's nice and stuff, but it's the waiting that oftentimes is like the sweet spot, right? So... That's cool, man. Um, I kind of want you to get into some of the history. Let me open your professor brain up a little bit. Tell me about the history of the native schools, mm. of the um, you know, the atrocities that happened. A lot of people don't know. And I would say the only time I've seen it talking about over like the mass media is uh what is it, 1823? What fucking show? The Yellowstone mm. spinoff. 18 I think it is 18. 18- Something, whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? The Yellowstone spinoff that has like the girl in the school and she's able to break out and find her way back home. I think they're in Montana, somewhere like that. Uh, tell me about it, though. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the reference to Yellowstone and the, and the offshoot of 1823 or what the title is. And um, that's one show that's on my docket to watch. Everybody's like, you got to watch that. You got to watch that. So it's definitely a need to. It's fire. <laughs> I love that. And before I get into this, just want to talk about too, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of my best friends, John Dedridge, like he had read that book and that's one that uh, kind of, we'll talk about ideas from. So I haven't read it, but I definitely... 1883. That's what 1883. it is. I just Googled it. Yeah. I like appreciate to. that. 1883. And um, then the Tony Robbins book. I haven't read Tony Robbins work, but talk about videos or different inspirational people. It's a huge. One, one of those people I could just kind of scroll and keep watching different videos of and different things. So... Let's get into it here, talking about the Indian boarding schools, Indian residential schools. So there was this guy um, named Pratt, and uh, he had a military background, and he had worked, like, they had taken uh, different Native people in, because at this point, um, the idea was, like, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, like, it's still, like, it was, like, within, it was, like, still connected to, like, the Department of, like, War, essentially. So, like, they were, um, they were not still seen as human beings. And Pratt, this idea, this guy was saying, well, if we can like, if we can change these people, I've seen it in our prison systems, we can kind of conform them to be the way we want them to be. If we can assimilate them, then maybe we can, um, instead of killing them off, we can just make them, make them like us was the idea. So the whole notion of it is really heavy idea, um, is the idea of let's kill the Indian to save the man. So the idea that you would just make, you try to take away everything from these people except for their blood, but the idea that, and this is kind of the idea behind the school was that they would hate everything about themselves so much. The only thing left within them would be the blood itself. So really, really heavy stuff. Um, and as I talk about this too, we talk about this notion of intergenerational trauma and heavy things. And there's also within this, there's intergenerational resiliency for us to be here to, to this day. But let us continue uh, here. So going through time, um, to my understanding, there's over 450 Indian boarding schools that were put between sometime between 1879 and 1996, I believe, um, that were kind of running the way they were in the United States, about 150 Indian residential schools in Canada. Um, really heavy stuff. So I've heard it said that for most Native people you know, or if you, that, that someone in their family or someone had been through this process of the Indian boarding school. So really heavy stuff. 
we talked about Orange Shirt Day, and that was the idea for, I believe it's, um, I don't want to say her last name wrong, either Webster or Webstad, but I'm not entirely sure. Phyllis, I think, is her, her first name in the 1970s at an Indian residential school in Canada. I was wearing this nice orange ribbon shirt that her their mom had made for them, and then um, they had like taken it away, and they had, uh, were never allowed to see it again because they had to be conforming and different things. So even bringing it back to some of those first schools, so the idea was... Um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they would have these Indian agents, these people that would go door to door, and they would be taking native kids from their homes and taking them to these schools against their will. If the parents resisted, then they would, they would uh, arrest the parents as well, too, and then they'd take the kids anyways. So you'd see some famous pictures. You'll see some, like, teepees or traditional houses set up outside of the schools for, pe- for the people who are still resisting it. They just want to be close enough to them. And it's heavy stuff. And um, so when they were going to these kids when they were— uh, one of my cousins, um, Eddie Cornelius Gruff, she has uh, a book, and um, one of her, her friends had illustrated it as well with pictures, but they were just recreating it. And one of them, there's a picture of all these kids hiding underneath the bed for like when, they, when they came by, just so they wouldn't be taken from their homes. So they're taken from their homes. And um, for many men, having long hair was your part of your identity. It's your connection to the earth and all living things, your ancestors and relatives. Um, so for many men, the first thing they did, they would, they would cut the hair of these men. And for many Native people, you would only do this when you were in grieving. If someone had, if someone had close to you had passed away. So these young children, and they're going, and the first thing that happens is they're, they don't speak the language as well, too, and their hair is being cut, and they're stripped from their family. So they're thinking, the first thing you're thinking is that someone close to me has passed away. Very traumatic thing for a child. And then they're going, and they're putting in the... Um, there's a, if, you, if you go on YouTube, if you type in Into the West, there's like a nine-minute video. I think it's an excerpt from a PBS kind of recreation there's but it shows this idea of these people once they have their hair cut there they go there's like a whiteboard and basically you go and they're pointing with a like a, a like a ruler or like a stick to point like what is your new name like your name is no longer what it is now you're going to be this is now what you'll be called for your name and in some instances uh, people were given a number um like in, in indian residential schools there's a good there's a good graphic novel that's um uh, called i am not a number and on one side it's like written in like all the indigenous language and the other side it's like written like with the english translation but it's recreating this kind of going through this process um so that uh was the idea of the indian boarding schools and um, so religion your hair school clothing um all taken away as well too uh, for someone just for a couple examples here uh, my great-grandfather anderson william cornelius he was at Carlisle Indian School. So we talked about, I gave you that first positive story of him playing with Jim Thorpe, right? And that's like, for me growing up, it was just, I only heard the positive. I only heard that. It wasn't until I had my master's at, uh, in public administration and a, a certificate in American Indian Studies at Cal State Long Beach where we learned about this like really dark history and things that people had to endure. And it was, uh, so he ran away twice. So the first time he ran away, he got caught as there were people who were paid as like these, they call them Indian agents. And they would like literally lasso kids who were like, like bounty hunters, like, almost exactly or... like bounty hunters. They literally lasso people and take them back to school to get paid for it. So he got caught the first time. The second time he did not get caught. And if you look now on Google, you can Google the uh, Carlisle archives and they'll, um, they come up now, I think in like 2014, it became public record for some of these things. So it talks about like, you can go into Anderson Cornelius's file and my great grandfather, and you see where when he ran away, like there's um, there's schools from there's letters from the school writing writing to others saying like Anderson is an enemy of the state and should be treated as such, mm. like heavy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And heavy, heavy stuff. What I love with the resiliency is within his file as well too is, is the last thing. It's a letter from him going back to the school. So he runs away July fourth. It was like a Fourth of July outing, and I think about that what he was thinking about for like independence and freedom, what, what was going through his mind at that yeah. time. 
You know, he's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He eventually, on his own, makes his way all the way back to Oneida, Wisconsin, which, like, in a car. I've, like, I've driven, that's, like, a day's drive in a car, like, mm-hmm. a long. So he's doing this well without getting caught from avoiding bounty hunters, essentially, getting back there. And he writes this letter back in, like, April of the next year and saying, like, greetings. I bet you would like to know where I am about now. Well, I'm doing fine as I usually am here, like, in Oneida, Wisconsin. And I'm about to go to work in the fields, and you all have some money still, like, and that that is mine in, at the school, which is like thirty-two dollars and forty-five cents or something like that. Like, if you can send that back to me before I go to work. And the the people they have the nerve to respond back to him, like, oh, here's your money, your friend, so and so, like from the school, to, saying that they're friends. So it's heavy stuff. And another example, heavy things here. I only learned this within the last couple of years. So at Carlisle. Um, I knew this part. So Carlisle at many other schools, they had cemeteries built in by design to the, to the schools. And if you can imagine that, why would you need a cemetery at a school, right? So they had these cemeteries built in. At Carlisle was the only school we've searched so far in the United States out of the 450. Like Canada's been searching a number of them. They've searched like over 10 to 15 or more. Um, but we've only searched one so far. There's in Congress right now within the United States, they're talking about a bill of to have like a similar Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Like, do we want to have this? But it's still been sitting in Congress, I think, since... Was October of last year or longer than that. So it's been some time. It's still just kind of sitting there. So whether or not we'll see if it goes forward or not. Mm-hmm. But there, there's 180 tombstones for the kids who were killed there or died there. And another 13 for unknown children. And I always thought, that, like, that's so heavy. I can't, I can't imagine going through your life and like having someone who didn't know. You know, it was only it was, I was writing a book with my grandma and we were talking about family history. And we found out that my great, great uncle Joshua was one of those people who was killed at Carlisle and like never got to come home. So mm. really heavy stuff. And I say all that um, in kind of tying back into why I am the way I am with positivity and love and why I am with, with the way I choose to be learning about things. Was my, one of my cousins as well, I talked about, Eddie Cornelius Groff. She taught me restorative justice be around this whole idea of Indian boarding schools. Because the idea is for so many people, they, they never had the chance to talk about, they never have the chance to heal from these, these family histories that are very real that most people have never heard of. Most people would say, well, I've never heard of that. Like, that's not, it can't be true. I've never heard of that before. I've been told that many times in my life. Mm-hmm. I think those things honestly motivated me to be a professor, to be to, to continue learning. It's like, because I felt like this burden of unnecessary proof was put on me, but it's like, fine, I will show you. Like, this is, like, this is real history. It's not just Native history. This is all our United States history. It's our world history. Um, so my cousin, she would talk about this idea of intergenerational strength, intergenerational resiliency, uh, by holding these talking circles of restorative justice to talk about things that are really heavy that normally you normally felt like you were carrying on your own or you didn't feel like there was a place you could say it. Well, now you can say it and now we're all going to be listening and now we're going to be carrying it together. The same way I tell my story now, it's like now it's not just me carrying it, you know, it's us carrying that together. The same. Yeah. One of the biggest takeaways I had from taking your class was that quote you had of you have to kill the Indian to save the man. It's um, it's really heavy. It's really sad, and it, it pisses me off every single time I hear it because it wasn't that long ago. We're talking about something that was, you know, one or two people ago, really. If you really want to look at it, if you think about, like, Hannah's grandparents are all still alive right now. Her oldest grandparent was born in 1934, I think. He remembers, like, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Like, we think that this is ancient history, and it's not. It's... It really 
basically pulls the hood open on sort of the social issues that we're having right now that I think the average person really isn't able to dive that deeply in. When I think about some of the stuff, obviously the intergenerational traumas, you get that, we get that, but there are so many intergenerational strengths. Mm. It's kind of where a lot of my work ethic comes from. When I think about somebody like my own grandfather who grew up in you know the Jim Crow South out of Pine Bluff, Arkansas, uh, he looks at me and he goes, or so the average person would go, dang, Venture, you work really fucking hard. And I go, no, 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 not mm. compared to how he worked right. with the amount of options that he had. He was able to rise to the ranks of an officer in a racist United States Army back in the 70s, you know, 60s, 70s, and ultimately become one of the first officers over overseas in Germany. So it's like, how do you equate that to where now I wake up in the morning and I go, well, we go to work. No, I don't take off days. I don't go, okay, yeah, I got a little headache. I get it. Yeah, definitely. There is a real thing called recovery, but at the end of the day, you got to be resilient. You got to show up on the days you don't want to show up. That's where greatness is built. One of my biggest things is greatness is a verb. Mm. I think over the past year or so, I thought greatness was this thing that you sort of embody when you hit 60 years old and you're a Muhammad Ali and you go, oh yeah, you've been now deemed greatness. No, Muhammad Ali is great when he's 20, when he's 21, 22, 23. Greatness is a verb. It's not something that you become. It's something that you are. It's something you embody. It's how you carry yourself. It's how you walk. It's how you talk. What do you think about that? I think that's so true. I think that's beautiful as well, too. It's not See me getting fired up over here? <laughs> you start, you start, I love it. Yeah, I get on a tangent and I just start to go like, Oh, I want to run through a wall. You know what I mean? It's Here's the thing, too, is you're, you're lucky I worked out today, too, because <laughs> I have this thing to where, um, are you, do you know Kino? You know I have a Belgian melon wall, right, that's two years old. I'll get you some pictures. Uh, Hannah just took him down the street. They're on a walk right now. He'll, he might be back here before we get, or she might have stopped at her sister's house. Uh, I got that dog for Lily when he was a tiny little 10-pound puppy. Two months went by, he tore a hole in my parents' wall in the living room. This puppy just ripped an entire wall out because he wanted to get out of the thing. It's a monster. I live with a, it's, it's almost like living with a cage fighter <laughs> with PTSD 24-7. So I say that because if you don't work this dog out, people have a concept. You, you know a German Shepherd, right? You've involved with German Shepherds. This is like a German Shepherd on crack. It's very different. It's very high level. That's why I tend to not have him here because he is clearly... Let it be known that when he wakes up in the morning, he goes, nobody is going to touch Hannah. That's basically what he lives his life for is nobody is going to lay a fucking finger on my person. That's about it. So, and we love him for it. He keeps the place very safe. Everything's good. But it's one of those things where he goes, I, when you watch him work, it's poetry in motion because he goes, I would rather not take the chance i would rather die right now than take the chance of tj coming towards hannah and busting a move that i didn't see coming so obviously that's a liability we work through all that scenarios that make sure everything doesn't happen so the point is is i feel i've learned so much from that damn dog over the past two years that if i don't work out there's something that happens in my body that just starts to vibrate and i'm like oh, I'm not functioning properly right now. I just become the biggest dick on the planet to where I just have zero patience. I have zero this. Guess what? I go get a nice four-mile run-in, do some core, do some push-ups and sit-ups. I'm mellowed out for the rest mm -hmm. of the day. I'm easy. I'm balanced. And we had my grandpa on a couple months ago, and one of his quotes was, he's uh, the medicine man for up there in Fort Peck. He goes, 
always walk with balance. Mm. And that's what you have to embody is, yes, you have to have a lot of work ethic. You also have to have a lot of patience. Let's say you have to know when the time to recover is right, just like the ocean, man. The tide Mm. comes in, the tide comes out. Sometimes the right thing to do is to do nothing at all. And that hurts, you know? So I would say the concept of time is what we started with. And it's like, no, be patient. Time is, yeah, America's been around 300 years. That's not a long time. That's nothing. That's a blip, especially when you go overseas like you have and you go over to somewhere like Sweden. It's just opened my eyes to go, oh, no, this neighborhood's been around since 1248. I go, what? 1248? You're 800 years that this this place has been here. Oh, yeah, no. Mail office, post office, restaurant, everything. 1248. This rock has been here. It, it's just a crazy concept to think about uh, America. It's hard for people to think about America before 1776. You know what I mean? And, like, my people have been on this area for 11,000 years, running it, doing their thing, you know, having it built the right way. And... It's just something that I love to think about and how you can say, kill the man. No, no, kill the Indian to save the man. It's mm. it's fucked up, you know? Truly. Intergenerational strengths, though. Mm-hmm. That's what you get out of that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how this country is built. You know, you, you, you there's a lot of bad shit that happened, but when you... You talk about internet, you talk about the smartphone, you talk about the podcast, right? Uh, I don't know if we have that stuff without this other stuff. What do you think? That's kind of how the cookie crumbles or what's your take on it? No, absolutely. I think we're definitely standing on the shoulders of giants and those and the different uh, people and their sacrifices for them to live in the way that we're living now for this generation. Right? That whole idea of seven generations, that we're everything we have today is because of seven generations before us, the way they've lived and everything we're doing now is... For seven generations in the future, you know, I, I love that idea. And big Marvel and DC fan, but there's a was it Captain America and the Winter Soldier or something like that. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think, was one of the shows. Uh-huh. There's, there's this point in it where the, this main char- character, um, black African American character, and he's talking about this idea for like they hit the like how who are you to take up this Captain America shield like when there's been so much oppression against like your peoples and stuff. And he's like, well, yeah. And he comes to this conclusion, the idea of like, well, they didn't go through all that suffering just for me to give up now. Yeah. And I feel that like with my hearing about you talking about your relatives who served in the military, like that same great grandfather who ran away from boarding school, he went and served in World War One before he was a U.S. citizen. Like he's going to France. You know, this is 19, uh, this is in uh, 1918, I think is when they're they're going there um, for World War One, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's doing this before it's a a U.S. citizen. Like, you know, 1924 is when people are given citizenship. And he talks about, he's like, I'm doing this so that someday one of my descendants will have the rights to, to be able to be like a citizen of this country. So they will be able to have the benefits of the things I'm working out, what I'm doing for now. And um, he ended up, he got a purple heart when you're injured behind enemy lines. And he ended up, he didn't get it during his lifetime. He passed away, but it was one of, uh, it was my great aunt, great aunt Dolores and my grandmother who fought for it. And they like lobbied a congressperson to end up reinstating it. So he got one after his death, but now he has a purple heart for his service in World War One. So it's just, yeah, that same idea that, the idea of that sacrifice, the idea, who am I to say, oh, uh, the, the, oh, like, oh, I'm working really hard, or this is really hard. It's like, this is nothing, nothing compared to the different sacrifices and people before us. Yeah. Something else I've been seeing, too, as I start to travel outside of the U.S. is 
it's very divisive in here. You know, mm-hmm. one of my goals that I would really love to push the needle forward is to actually unite the United States mm-hmm. of America mm-hmm. because it's very divided just in our, you know, culture and the way we see things just uh, by going off of like, where are you from? What are you? You know, how, who, who are you? It's very quick to go, okay, yeah, I'm Native American and African American. You know, that makes sense. But why is it that when I'm in Sweden, it goes, oh, no, you're American, right? Why is it that mm. that's when that's when you pull that card, right? You Maybe, maybe here you're uh, a Latino man that runs a taco truck, right? But you go over to Greece, all of a sudden you're an American, right? So that's this thing that I'm thinking of to where mm. I, I think there has to be a healthy balance between still distinguishing, you know, your roots and your culture, but at the end of the day, also identifying that we have more, a lot more in common than we do different. You know, whoever this uh, prejudiced guy in Texas is, you know, that's doing this and that, let's say, for example, me and that guy have a lot more in common than mm. somebody maybe in South Africa does. We like the same shows. We like the same American movies. I love Texas brisket. We like cars, all sorts of things, right, that we're exposed to just being in this country that somebody in Africa might not have in relation to me. So mm. you know what I mean? You ever thought about that? I love that idea very much so. I love that idea of a, of a truly United States and the idea of the identity of what we say, the different things, the identities that make us up. But when you go elsewhere, it's like, yeah, they view us, well, this is the time that you are, you know, you're American, you're, you know, you from the United States and definitely inspired by that. And I was, I was a neighborhood city councilman from like 23 to 24. So I was the same age as you now. And it's talk about greatness being not just from a time in my life. I'm like, I felt like that was pretty great at the time. Like, yeah. I'm grateful for that opportunity. Like that's still some of the most meaningful work I've done to this day is like that opportunity. And, um, in 2018, I ran for mayor of my city of Rancho. And I, I love that idea of with great power comes great responsibility and like how, it, what is it to be United States of our identities of peoples? And, um, we talk about, um, what year did you say it was in Sweden? 12 something. It was 12. Oh, 1248. 1248 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like I think about, um, so for the Haudenosaunee, what they believe our confederacy came together in 1142 mm. and like late August. And they know it because it was like the way there was a solar eclipse happening at the time. And um, so five once warring nations bury their weapons underneath the great white fir tree of peace. And if you ever hear the euphemism, like let's bury the hatchet. I'm told that's come from, comes from the Haudenosaunee. Oh, I like that. If you're like, Let, I need to sleep on that. I'm told that comes from the Haudenosaunee for their, their chiefs, their sachems. That's how they make decisions. It's like sleeping on a major decision and then making decisions the next day. And, but the idea was, Many of the colonists, they came here and they were so, um, they were so inspired by the Haudenosaunee and saying, wow. And like Benjamin Franklin talks about, he has some really backhanded co- comments and ideas about saying like, if, if these savages can do it without force, right? They're not even putting people, people are choosing to be part of this. Like how, how can we not put up a, like another similar government that like that, that we can't make our own? And um, the idea was they, they invited um, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Um, they invited people from... Um, Haudenosaunee leaders to the second constitutional convention to talk about like, what is your process? How do you come together as your peoples? And, um, and when the Haudenosaunee came together, the idea was, it was, um, these five warring tribes, right? And you talk about those different identities that we have, right? All individual identities. So in this time at 1142, the peacemaker says, give me one of your arrows and snaps it easily. He says, okay, each of you give me an arrow. And he has five arrows together. And he says, see, Together we cannot be broken. Together we are stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's the same notion. If you pull out a one dollar bill and you see the eagle holding the thirteen arrows, I'm told this is what comes from the Haudenosaunee when they taught the the colonists this initially. Was that the idea was yes, you're thirteen colonies, but you would be a lot stronger if you were one. Yeah, You'd be a lot stronger if you united. And I think about in the world right now, right, with all the chaos going on in the world and all that, everything that's um, 
just up and down and around and saying, you know, we, who, as a, you know, as, as a country, we are so much stronger together than we are, than we are apart. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. And for me, that's definitely what, yeah, drives me is to, yeah, to remind people of those things that we have in common, our common ground that we may not always agree with one another, but we are still, uh, see ourselves as a family, as a, as a, as a unit. So I'm pretty new into my finance career right now. And we have a really big general office down in uh, the Orange Coast area. And one of the coolest things that basically I understand why this is one of the probably top three offices in America, if not the globe, diversity. Mm. There is a melting pot that's happening in that office that really does represent the SoCal area where I'm so prideful that I haven't been there. You know, I've been there less than six months, but the amount of people that I've interacted with, like my direct uh, senior partner is from China and she runs the whole Chinese market. There's not, if you have money and you come over from China, I guarantee you you're talking to her at some point in time to get your affairs in order. And it's just so cool because I hear so many languages just walking down the thing. And you would think like finance. Oh, it's just like a bunch of white guys with suits on, you know, trying to talk about stocks and bonds and stuff like that. But that's not what's going on here. We're actually kind of moving the needle forward, helping people with their financial concerns and things like that. But I say that because diversity is the reason why I'm in SoCal. That's mm -hmm. my number one. Yeah, the weather's good, stuff like that. There's good weather. You can go a lot of places. Go a little south to the equator. You'll find good weather wherever you want to go. But the, especially Long Beach in particular, the melting pot that we have here of culture and of ideas only when has more options ever led to a lesser outcome? Mm. Never, right? So having more options, having more ideas, having more people's voices to be listened to and more perspectives, how the hell can that lead to something that's not good, mm. right? That's, that's my favorite class I get to teach is the ethnic experience in the United States here at Cal State Long Beach. And you talk about the students, many of them coming from Long Beach or Southern California, and just that diversity of peoples, of thoughts, and we also have international students, and it's just, just so beautiful and profound, the conversations that we'll have, and that's never do I love like our country more than I'm in those moments of hearing all those different thoughts and peoples and their stories and their family stories, and saying, wow, like this is truly beautiful. This is, like, that is a huge gift. That's a huge asset to all of our differences. Mm-hmm. I want to take a step back. Let me go ahead and pull the, pull the needle down a little bit. We've been going heavy for a little while now. <laughs> You feeling good? I'm feeling fantastic. That's awesome. Tell me about Rancho. As a citizen <laughs> of Rancho, man, so here's my thing. I've been going since 2000, 2001. I've been going, bouncing back from Vegas to LA, Vegas to LA, Vegas to LA. As a kid, you know, you'd get outside of, uh, you know, LA here, there'd be nothing. You'd get to Barstow, right? Maybe you'd have a couple, couple gas stations in Rancho, right? It's amazing every time, even in Vegas, dude, when I, they're just building shit. They're just building so much stuff. I want to know at what point does it just become a seamless transfer of houses and businesses from LA to Vegas? Because even me and Hannah, Hannah's only been here like five, six years. And I've been taking her to Vegas ever since we were first together. And she's like, this is a new Costco. Like, this is a new this, <laughs> this is a new that. And there's so much stuff. How big is Rancho getting? Oh, How have you seen it grow? It's It's been phenomenal in its growth. So my wife, Julia, she was born and raised in Rancho. That's where she's from. So it wasn't until 2017 that I moved out there. And even then, just watching it develop and grow. And they're right off the, the 210 freeway. And even before that, like they were saying, that was like a newer thing. For a long time, they didn't have that freeway. You just take like side streets just for a long time. And mm -hmm. just all the different developments. And 
my friends who are in real estate, they tell me that ranch are like, oh yeah, you're, you all are basically built out there. I think it's like 90 something percent built out. It's almost like completely built out. Call it like the gem of the Inland Empire. Like that's beautiful. And even I coached a lot for lacrosse and for a long time I'd coach a lot in, in the Inland Empire and go to different cities around there. It's amazing to see places like Eastvale, like overnight turn into like these new homes and communities, people from all over just like live in there. And like you're talking about connecting Vegas and here, like yeah, the same way between like Orange County and LA, just all those different places in between. You're seeing in Corona and Chino, just like all these places, just like get new stores and new developments yeah. nonstop. So it, it seems like it's just, yeah, just ever expanding. It, 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 it's a, <laughs> it is pretty wild to see. And like we just recently in Ontario next to us, we got a Top Golf. And that's been really cool because oh, people, cool. people will be like coming from LA and different or different places from Southern California just to come to this, like to there. So a lot of like the surrounding businesses, I think are benefiting from it as well. And mm -hmm. um, it's been pretty cool to see. Yeah, I love uh, Top Golf. <laughs> Top Golf is so cool. I love the one in Vegas. Right. That's me a too. cool one. Have you seen this one in Glendale? Um, not Top Golf. Tiger Woods designed a mini golf course, man. So it's in Glendale. I forget the name of it. You got to look it up. But next time I'm in like, uh, no, 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 sorry. Glendale, Arizona, I think. not Or whatever it is. It's in Arizona, not our Glendale. Um, but it's like super cool. It's like very Tiger Woodsy, and it's top golf vibe. So you can get drinks, food, and like hang out and have a good time. So I want to check that out sometime. I love top golf, though. I also like, have you ever been axe throwing? Oh, I. My wife has. I'm not sure if I have ever been. It looks so much gotta fun. You got to go. <laughs> Hannah is so good. It's funny because that's her Swedish roots coming out. That's like the only thing that she's consistently beaten me in. I'm all right at Axstone, but she just throws that thing and it's like a bullseye every single time. And I'm like, how are you doing that? So Axstone's fun. You got to check that out sometime. That sounds so fun. That's but awesome. yeah, that's crazy how much Rancho is growing and just like blowing up and everywhere really. It's just like people are moving. People are shaking. Me personally... My mind is the best when I am next to the water. Mm -hmm. So I have to see water. You know, I worked for the jet ski company, right? Did you ever see that I used to work for Jet Ski Catalina? Um, I, like I vaguely over there? remember that. So basically, I was one of the adventure tour guides over there. If I'm popping in a few shifts, I'll definitely let you and your lady know because you want to come down there. That'll be hands down. I'll just say the best day of your summer. When you go there, it's it's magical, the type of thing that we got going on over there. It's super cool. But I say that because when I'm on the water, everything else doesn't exist. Like, it's mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm a water guy. I'm a beach guy. I perform the best by the coast. Mm -hmm. So kind of one of the rules that I've set for myself is I have to have some sort of a home base by water, wherever that is. Luckily, there's a lot of coasts around the globe. You can go wherever you want. I don't care, Africa, India, here, South America. Like, I'll go as long as I'm by a coast, and I just operate so much better there. Where do you think your peak performance is at that you found so far? That's a phenomenal question. And even thinking of your answer of being close to the water, I remember hearing a lot just, um, I mean, like through therapy when I was younger, different things with psych psychology, the idea that like being close to large bodies of water is like a very healing idea. It's put things in perspective and it can be very great for growth and development and for peace. So I'm definitely a fan of the water. I am turtle clan. I didn't, I still feel uh, on my heart. I want to give my Oneida introduction for my little uh, yeah, language because yeah, yeah. that ties in as well too. So I'll, I'll, I'll do it here. Um, I would say, uh, Segoli, Nariolewis, Skanagoga, Skanago, Wugnuktani, Wagitalota, Oniada Aga ni e, Agwe ni e, Laguedio ni Yugyaks. And I just said in Oneida, greetings, what is the news? Are you with peace? I am with peace. I am Turtle Clan. I am people of the Standing Stone. I am Oneida. And my Oneida name means he is a good man. And uh, 
breaking back into English here. And I would say, yeah, I, uh, as a turtle clan, I feel like I have one of my responsibilities is to take care of mother earth, to, to take care of our environment and different things. And then also I view that is I have like my turtle shell on my back, kind of wherever I'm at, I feel like I can make myself at home. Definitely being around the people I love is where I feel the most at home. So being around my wife, Julia, our two dogs, Sydney and Millie, like that's where I feel like I'm most at home, but I have, um, I feel like I can be kind of all over. Uh, I, I, I really do like to travel and be different places. So I just feel like I have my turtle shells with me everywhere from when I'm with my grandma in Oneida, Wisconsin, to my parents living in Oregon, to my my oldest sister, Chelsea, in uh, kind of central and northern California. And I'll do a lot of trips back out to the East Coast, um, to Salmon River, which is the largest Native American public school in the nation. Okay, uh, it's like on the can- it's on the border between Canada, the U.S., and the Mohawk Nation, and I feel I feel pretty at home there, in like traditional Haudenosaunee homelands. And um, so I don't know. I guess uh, kind of wherever I'm, where my, wherever my little turtle shell is ba- on, on my back, I definitely feel at home. But I definitely like the water. I love being around trees. Like when I'm in Oneida, Wisconsin, there's a lot, a lot of trees. You're a tree there. guy, huh? big tree guy. Just like in the tr- just very quiet, very chill. And just like playing lacrosse and just like just kind of hearing the silence and hearing nature, hearing the animals. That's that's probably where I'm like just thriving, where I'm, I'm playing, I'm in that flow state, and then I'm just getting some really beautiful kind of thoughts are blossoming, I guess. Yeah. Hey, tell me what your Indian name is again. Yeah. What uh, is it? Laguadio, which means he is a good man. He is a good man. My Indian name is Mazda Tatanka Naji. It's Whoa. Iron Buffalo Cloud. So I was given three names. As a child, um, basically, you go iron is strength. Obviously, that's pretty self-explanatory. Buffalo is um, sort of the lead animal. You know, it's very strong. It's very sturdy in its ways. It's very consistent. You always know what the buffalo is about. It's about, you know, survival, teamwork, working together, very thick, hardy animal, you know, hard to move. Just I love buffaloes. One of my favorite animals probably because of that. Cloud, nomadic, very Mm. flexible, very sort of shifty. And I think it fits perfectly. So it's one of those things that I was given. And uh, I've been toting around this idea. Swedish people don't have to take the male's last name. That's not really a common thing. Like, I don't think Hannah's parents, uh, they didn't take his name. They took like a maiden name or something like that. Or... Something really cool, shout out to Adam and Amanda Anchorstorm. Those are Hannah's uh, brother-in-law and sister. Is They created their own last name, so Anchorstorm. So it was something that was inspired. I don't actually, if you go way back to like episode two, I had him on. He's a Swedish entrepreneur. He builds barber shops, does a lot of tech stuff. He's a really cool guy. I can't wait to see him next time I'm in Stockholm, but... He basically created the last name of Anchor Storm because I think that it is like the calmness of the storm that they're doing. And it's kind of a really cool vibe. So what I'm thinking about, and I've been talking to Hannah, is I think we're going to take my native name as our last name and sort of create that for Iron Cloud. I think that's might be something that we're going to think about doing when the time's right. You know, we still got to in no rush to get married there's no pressure for that yet so it's definitely cool but yeah that's i love the native names indian names are super important and it's something that everyone should wear proudly you know mm-hmm. so 
that's one of those things. And I kind of wanted to hear about your love story with your wife. Tell me about that. Where did you guys meet? Absolutely. How'd you meet Julia? How did I meet Julia? That's phenomenal. And I just want to say too, I love the idea of taking on that native Indian name, Iron Cloud and mm-hmm. Iron Buffalo Cloud. That is phenomenal. What a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful thing to have and be ascribed to you. And I definitely see that in you venture. And I love that very much. So let's see here. My love story with Julia. We met at Pepperdine University in 2012. And as, as my super senior there, super senior year, I was just like ready to get out of um, the school and I was done with school and I was like living in Venice and commuting to Malibu at the time. Um, and she had just transferred from UC Santa Barbara and just, she just I'd always wanted to go to Pepperdine. And I remember we met in class and that was just it. We were just classmates. And um, I remember, I just remember that she was like a very kind and positive person. Like we were just strictly just classmates at that point. And I remember at the time it was actually... I was dating someone else, and um, I remember this person, they had a tendency to be fairly negative, this person that I was dating at the time, and I just remember when Julie would walk into the room, like I, wouldn't, I was just like, wow, whoever is, gets to be with that person someday is the luckiest person in the world, because they're just like very kind, like just very charismatic, and very, um, just very warm, like just what a wonderful human being, and, and, but they were just, just classmates, and that was it, and I think even we both just kind of recognized each other's talents, and just like being just, we were, we were it was a small class, and we were both just skilled speakers, and at the end of the, the semester, we're like, oh, maybe we should be president and vice president someday. And they're like, oh, well, everybody doesn't like, no one really likes them, so let's just have our own talk show someday. And we were kind uh-huh. of laughing about it. And then um, that was kind of that. And it, um, I ended up, uh, we kind of went our separate ways. And then um, I ended up uh, breaking up with that person who I was with. Um, and then it was like a little bit later, like sometime like within that year um, that uh, she had she used to be on Facebook at one point and then she like, she, she went off it and her dad talked about different families and cultures. Her dad is from Syria and like moved here in the late 1970s and her mom is from Mexico. Um, and her dad, like sometimes she would, he would use her Facebook to like check on family members in Syria uh-huh. as like, as he didn't have an account on his own. So one of her friends was like, Oh, Julia, you're back on Facebook. She's like, no, I'm not. She's like, Oh no, you are. I saw you were on it. She's like, what? So she like saw her dad had reactivated it. And then she like saw that our professor had like wished me happy birthday on my wall. So she's like, Oh, happy birthday. So she was like, oh, great. And then we just started talking again. And um, I think we ended up uh, going ice skating around, right across the street from where I was living in Santa Monica at the time. They put like a little makeshift rink there. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, uh, it was just, it was magical. And I just had such a great time with her and just opening up and just feeling like it was just so, I just remember thinking, wow, if I'm ever with someone, anyone else, I would, I would just be settling. Like this is just, this is just seems like the most incredible human being that, uh, in the world. And I just, uh, just felt very lucky and just been blossoming that relationship ever since. And um, so we got married um, in 2019. And at one point, I uh, we when we were I got it proposed to her when we were in Italy in front of the Trevi Fountain. Oh, really? So that was that was pretty sweet. And she had been there to Italy when she was doing study abroad when she was younger. And there's something with the the the, the fountain. If you, like you throw the coins in, or forget if it's like one or one or two, it means like something that you really like find love or something or come back there and. Um, so it's pretty cool and pretty special, but she's a phenomenal, wonderful woman. She's a, a nutritionist. And then she, I always joke with people that she makes me look like I'm the mean one. Cause she's like super sweet and super smart. Like all my papers and all my stuff, like she would always like edit or she would be reading my papers. Like, what are you trying to say here? I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to say this. She's like, okay. And then she'll like reword it and stuff. Yeah. She's just, um, very organized and I just love her heart. Um, uh, and her name, Julia Elizabeth is, uh, Reed, uh, Ismail was her maiden name, but, uh, for Elizabeth and told it means house of light of God. And it's just like a very beautiful image. And she has a definitely a lot, a lot of that light inside of her. She's just a really beautiful human being. How fast did you fall in love with her? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> so, um, so I was, I was trying to be respectful and kind of have my blinders on, so to speak, when I was in the previous relationship before her, but when we went on our first date, it remember just being like seeing her for the first time. And it was just like, it was just like in a movie, it just became like, you know, like the stars and the fireworks and kind of like, just like that, just like, just surreal. When at the first moment I saw her and I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. Like I've never cared about someone. Like I saw that, like I've cared about her. So from our first date officially, it was within like the first moment of seeing her again. And then that was, uh, when I've just been enamored ever since. I love that movie analogy that you have because I remember I felt that with Hannah. Mm. And it's pretty cool because Hannah has um Hannah has a identical twin. Her name is Josephine. So I get to like I, I'm so lucky just to be in their presence sometimes when the two of them are inside of a room because there's an energy that's felt when these two young ladies walk in the room, no matter where you're at, that you guy woman or guy girl gay straight whatever you are you know to give that the respect it is like when something walks in there's i do it a lot with my personality and i don't notice it that's where my superpower is but when hannah and josephine walk in a room people stop and they go what is this thing that i must give all my attention to and it's just funny because they live in a different world than you and i live in and it's funny because let's say for example when we moved this couch from our old apartment to the new apartment we used to live over closer to campus I pulled this couch out, right? I've been moving things all my life. Moved every year of my life, you know, boom, boom, boom. Nobody's ever helped me. Hannah's never had to move anything large in her life just because she's got older brother. She's got a dad, stuff like that. Why is it that we only make it 10 steps and a guy, just random guy comes up in the apartment comes like, oh, get out the way. Let me help this guy, like pick this up. So it's just certain things happen to Hannah that just fall into the universe that are like, you know, that's uncommon, right? Like I've been lifting shit my whole life with my dad. Never has anyone been like, hold Hold on, kid. Like, I've struggled. I've lifted pool tables that I just can't, at like 12, that I just can't hold. No one's ever been like, oh, he doesn't have it. Let me go step in. So it's just so funny. But that movie moment, we had our first date at Red Robin. And I remember like before the burgers came or whatever, she had on a red top with flowers, denim shorts, and she had like her hair, really bright, blonde, pretty hair. And I remember she like looked over and it does. Everything goes into slow motion. And I go, oh, this is what this is. This is what this thing is. And I go, of course, all the advice you get is like, oh, don't fall in love young or don't hold on to it too quick. But back to that thing to where I go like, hmm, I don't know. I'm pretty good at figuring things out at a fast, rapid rate. I think I'm going to try this out and we're going to see what happens. And, you know, we're five years in later and as good as it could be building this podcast, you know, taking care of our Kino boy and, you know, just living life, you know, trying to make it here in LA. So that's super cool. I love that movie moment. Cause I always wondered like, do other people feel this? Mm -hmm. Like do other people go, you know, it slows down and you just go like, Mm, you're like oh there it is that's the best right and then i just love that i was able to fall in love with her family too like that's the biggest bonus mm -hmm. is i've already been at peace that i'm going to be spending thousands of dollars a year just plane tickets going out to sweden and coming back but it really is a privilege that we have the ability to sort of bridge and we live in an era to where it's just a flight away. It's really mm -hmm. not that big of a deal. Like it's a pretty good deal. You pay, you know, 500 to a thousand dollars and you get to go across the globe in a day's travel. You know, that's a pretty good deal versus like getting on a boat and sailing or doing some wild shit like that. That totally. would just, you know, so we complain about it, but like, it's pretty cool. The world we live in now. 
That's know? amazing. And I, I love that idea of the fit with the family as well, too. That is such a blessing. And that's really uh, makes a it, Yeah, it plays a huge role in the, in the fit and the alignment and be able to have that gift. That's amazing. I'm so stoked for you, Venture and Hannah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think we've done, you know, a good, good amount of time now where we've settled in. We've definitely laid a good foundation for a podcast. Is there anything that you want to close on? Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to maybe give to the people? Oh, I love that. Thank you very much for the floor and the microphone here, Venture. For my last closing thoughts, growing up in Southern California, love listening to Power 106. And uh, I remember when I was younger, I'd listen to DJ Felly Fell on the radio. And I remember oh, having a bad day or going through some tough times. And you always hear him in between songs. And he says, and just remember, if nobody loves you, DJ Felly Fell loves you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my message to everybody listening to this, if nobody loves you, that me, Dr. Reed, that TJ, I got so much love for you. And just so grateful, just sending everybody a good mind and good thoughts. And uh, as an Oneida person, part of what it means to be Oneida is to have a good heart, a good mind, and a strong fire. And that means having love for myself, love for my family, love for my community, love for my world. Having a good mind is having that strong sense of peace and having a generous sense of humor, as humor is a good part of life as well, too. And that your strong flame, that your spiritual flame has the ability to ignite other people's flame as well, too. So just sending you all out with some love. The last thing that I want to ask you, I just remembered, is who's somebody that you would like to see on this podcast? I often like to sort of get the mind thinking, who would you like to recommend to give a shout out to, maybe hopefully in the SoCal area, that we can get in the chair that you're sitting in and maybe have them tell their story and you know share some thoughts with us here on the Natural Thoughts and Talks podcast. Oh, I love that. I definitely think that Craig would be a phenomenal person to have on here. I know, um, yeah, I feel like my, my wife, Julia, would be pretty sweet to have on okay. her, her good perspective. Um, but yeah, a lot of those different people from our, our leaders in our community as well, too. Um, um, tribal chairwoman Heidi Lacero could be a good, good one as well, too. And um, just a number of different people between Professor Cindy Alvitri or Dr. Teresa Greger, um, Dr. Kimberly Robertson. A number, number of different like great minds and great peoples. And uh, like you were saying, we got, luckily we have a, a number of phenomenal people here. And just looking through your 52 previous podcasts so far, like you're just doing a phenomenal job. We're just getting the voices of communities and peoples and just taking that intentional time to speak and listen. So I will, I'll definitely message you as was more coming to my mind. It'll probably be 2 a.m. tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this, <laughs> that's this, perfect. This, this that's person. usually what all the guests do. And they go like, oh, here's the good one that I wanted. You know, I, I like to put people on the spot, though, just to, you know, have something in there to hold on to. So thank you for coming on. Like I said, open invite anytime you want. It's real easy. Just set the stuff up and we start rolling and we have a good time. So hopefully you'll be back real soon. Like I said, anytime you're free. I know you're a super busy guy, but Come jump on the pod. Let's have a good time. I had a blast. Did you have fun? I had a phenomenal time, Venture. I was in the flow state. I was just so admired yeah. and inspired by you through this whole process and no place I'd rather be. I had a blast. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Natural Thoughts and Talks. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.